Howdy, y'all, and welcome to another edition of the Playmakers Corner Podcast. I am your host for this set of previews. Yeah, you heard that right. Cody Stoffer, where we are going to talk through 10 programs here, and we are going to assess how they did last year, in addition to who graduated this past spring in 2023 and won't be joining us on the field this season but then also talking about the players that will be returning and then projecting a record based off of their schedule as well as their opponents. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and jump into it right now with the Skyline Falcons. But, you know, with the Falcons, not to brag, but this Skyline team did exactly what I guess they would, which was, you know, stating, and I quote, this season is chock full of challenges, but in order to be the best, you have to beat the best. They probably leave their first four-game stretch 2-2 two and two with a big shootout brewing in Week 1 against Denver South. I see a sweep for Skyline in Longmont, but at the cost of exhaustion, setting them up for a potential upset at the hands of Windsor before a tough Loveland squad might overwhelm in the front seven and then a pair of wins heading into the playoffs. 6-4 and four appears very possible and narrowly missing out on league title unless they can beat the Red Wolves, which would be a massive statement for their chances at state. I literally just, end quote, I literally just copied that from last year's window of wins section for this year's recap. And the only part that I didn't say was that they'd beat Widefield in the first round and lose to Palmer Ridge in the second. Not sure what more you could want from me. But anywho, there's a lot to be happy about with this team that stuck together for a long time, but graduates a lot of key pieces this past spring. Hard to talk about the Falcons without our top five senior quarterback and Unco commit, Caden Box, who put together a solid season, tossing for 2,100 yards on 54% completion percentage and 24 touchdowns to just seven picks. He improved his decision-making drastically from his junior season, and that combined with his big arm meant that it was time for this offense to feast. Some of the fellows at the table were Landon Trope, who is a senior, 17 catches for 248 yards a score, Dylan Bridwell, 31 catches for 388 yards and five touchdowns, but most of all, the matchup nightmare that is Logan Miller. Logan was beating double teams and running himself open against three dudes keyed on him at a time, and that led to the monster season he had of 68 receptions for 1,246 yards and 14 touchdowns for one of the best statistical seasons of any wideout last season. Unfortunately, all three of those targets will be graduating along with Box. Now, the defense for my preview last season was the question mark I had, and there were plenty of studs who stepped up for a formidable unit that were seniors. The headliner being senior Maddox Leggett here, who led the team in tackles at 78, tackles for loss with five, and brought a high level of physicality to this squad flying all over the field making plays. Giancarlo Barron was holding it down in the secondary with a team best six interceptions and another three pass deflections while recovering a fumble as well as consistently killing drives and putting opposing defenses in bad spots to deal with his offense again. Isaiah Longdo was the leader of pass rushers with three and a half sacks and second on the team in both total tackles and tackles for loss with 66 and four respectively. Alan Muniz was the only other player with four tackles for loss or even more than two for that matter, who is also a senior this past year. Evan King rounded out the top three in tackles with 61 and notched two interceptions with three pass deflections and a forced fumble on this unit. Not to be forgotten, Bridwell was also tied with Barron and King with three pass deflections and had an interception himself. And overall, seven of the top 11 defenders in tackles 
were from the class of 2023 and they have graduated this past fall. So this defense, that was a question graduating a lot of guys. And then, you know, the offense that was so dynamic, electric, what have you, you know, in their six and four season, they're also basically all graduating both units, you know, around 30 points per game, which checks out once you realize that they went up, you know, they had a little over a 500 season, right? So those are all the guys that are checking out. But some of the guys who are checking back in were the first non-senior to break through on the tackles list, which was Jonathan Kinnar here. And what was even more impressive was his team's second best three interceptions, creating an area of risk for danger in his area to throw. Another rising senior to keep an eye out for on this defensive squad would probably be Gentry Swanson. He had two tackles for loss, 21 total tackles, and an interception. Now, unfortunately, Skyline is also losing a lot of muscle and size up front on both lines, so it'll be a taller task for maybe the biggest surprise of last season to replicate his very impactful season as Raw Men Ra Ra Carson was a disciplined and punishing force out of the backfield, providing this offense with great balance. Carrying the Rock for 1,277 yards on 200-plus carries and 13 scores while also showing ability out of the backfield as a reliable checkdown option. The load of the offense will fall a lot more on his shoulders as they ran a quick game system and may have to adapt to whoever is under center for this next year. So lots of impact guys, maybe a little bit of a step back for the Skyline Falcons this season, who open up their season against another high graduating kind of squad in Denver South. This time it'll be in Denver I think that Denver South is returning more players on defense, so I would probably give that to them. And they also have a pair of running backs that are very solid versus, you know, the one proven running back in uh, Carson here. Then they have a home game against Stanley Lake, who's also graduating a pretty significant amount. So I'd call that one a coin toss. I don't think that they beat Fruita Monument. I actually think that Vista Peak Prep is returning a decent number of players but I don't know if that'll be enough to overcome Carson's just pure sheer will here. So I'll give Skyline, you know, two and two here heading into their Longmont games where I actually think that they go 0-2 this season against the likes of the Trojans and the Raptors. Then they have Windsor at home. Windsor did graduate a pretty significant amount of talent, but they are also bringing back a quarterback and stuff like that. So I think that that's something to Keep an eye on Loveland. This is another team that, you know, I'm going to talk about later this episode that is graduating a ton of talent. But, you know, I think that they have enough playmaking on both sides of the ball with two particular players to kind of not offset the amount of losses that they have, but at least to beat Skyline, in my opinion, for a second year in a row. Grand Junction Central. This team is returning a pretty nice bevy of playmakers here none that were super crazy or anything like that but i think it's at least worth calling it a coin toss and then ending the year with greeley central that they should definitely beat. so you know as far as the definite wins quote-unquote definite wins that they get i think that they win at least we'll say three games here but i do think that at best they maybe win five so I'm going to give the Skyline Falcons a window of wins of three and five, but I'm probably leaning towards a four and 
six or even three and seven season. I think that they might make the playoffs based off of strength of schedule, maybe. You know, if both Silver Creek, Longmont make the playoffs, as well as Windsor and Loveland, maybe. Uh, along with a Fruit of Monument appearance, wouldn't hurt either. So playing five, maybe even Denver South, six playoff teams, if that's all of their losses, then that's not a bad season by any means. So I guess, you know, four and six is probably where I'm sitting as far as definitive wins for Skyline. Keeping it in the exact same league, I am going to talk about the Grand Junction Central Warriors here who actually made the playoffs last season at a pretty insane 3-7. and seven. You know, they opened up the season with a 7-point loss to Fruta Monument that I think went a very long way because I believe that Fruta was the 9 seed in the postseason, if my memory serves me correctly. And then they beat Palisade and Grand Junction before losing to Durango, Glenwood, Springs, Montrose, and Loveland all in a row. Those are all playoff teams, except for Glenwood Springs, so that's a little bit surprising to see strength of schedule help them get here. But I believe that, you know, after beating up on Greeley Central, having only a seven-point loss to Windsor on the road was huge for them, and then they drew Fruit of Monument in the second round and got proven that, you know, they're not that they weren't on that same level as, you know, Fruit of Monument, and that they had made, Fruit of Monument, that is, significant strides since the last time these two teams played off. So let's go ahead and talk about some of the seniors that graduated. One of them is Santana Martinez. I kind of talked about him last year as, you know, he became the leading tailback, 448 yards, four touchdowns. While on defense, he led the Warriors with 89 tackles and nine tackles for loss. So, a do-it-all kind of guy on both sides of the football, someone that you're going to have to replace here. And then with an offensive line that varied from day to day and ended up being behind a few times, the Warriors team had to start passing. And, you know, they even had a, you know, play color change about midseason. So cue in Devin Hickey, who threw for 1,438 yards and nine scores, but might be replaced by someone a little bit more efficient after throwing 10 INTs this season. Someone had to catch the passes, though, for GJC, and there were a couple of real studs. You have the likes of Jackson Gone, who almost reached 500 yards on 33 receptions, scoring twice. But I think one of the, you know, best one pass-catching targets to talk about here was top five senior tight end Cash Walker from Playmakers Corner. We broke down his film, obviously, on our top five senior tight ends list of the class of 2023 but also listen to his insight on episode 251 where, with his interview where he informed us that the majority of his production came from the minority of the season, which is impressive considering he ended up leading this team in scores with five receiving touchdowns. And then even though they didn't have the most numbers, Antonio Antencio and Johan Treviso still walked so that future receivers could run, with those two combining for 34 receptions and 355 yards. And then Treviso defensively was amongst the leading interceptors on the team, along with fellow seniors James Montoya that matched the totals. Javian Hernandez here was sixth on the team in total tackles, but was a menace in the backfield, racking up seven tackles for loss and takes those across the stage along with Cash Walker's three, James Montoya's threes, uh, Cal Villiers two, and Tyler Zeke's three. This totals 75% of all the tackles for loss on the squad walking across the stage this past spring. 
But let's talk about some of the guys who are coming back who can maybe help this Warriors team kind of land a little bit more on their feet than, you know, on their head or something. So obviously they're, you know, bringing back a pass-heavy system is kind of the vibes that I've heard from some of my sources around the state. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of buzz and excitement for Grand Junction Central who, you know, historically haven't fared well against Grand Junction or Palisade in the past, you know, decade or whatever, even beyond that. And so for them to get both of those wins, be riding this, you know, high-flying offense that they want to become, and, you know, some of these playmakers here, I think that there's a lot of buzz in the town of Grand Junction, rightfully so. You got to talk about Cameron Redding, who returns to the defense after notching two interceptions and three pass deflections his junior season while being second on the team with 69 total tackles. Fellow rising senior Tristan Dean also had two picks and a team-high four pass deflections combined with a fumble recovery, just being very heads-up and giving this offense some opportunities. And then as a sophomore, Chris Grove was an impactful backer doing a little bit of everything with 61 tackles and two for loss while also notching an interception. Jamarcus is the leading returning receiver, which is kind of insane since he only played in four games and reached 90 yards on three catches, but he will have opportunities to show his chops this season. So let's go ahead and talk about this upcoming 2023 fall schedule here. They will open up their season once again with Fruit of Monument on the road here. I think that Fruit of Monument is returning a decent number of contributors here, so I will, you know, err on the side of Fruit of Monument, but Palisade is being heavily wrought with, you know, graduation and stuff. So I think that they repeat with wins over Palisade and Grand Junction before once again losing to Durango, Glenwood, Montrose, and Loveland. Greeley Central is a game that they should win, and I assume that they will. Skyline, this is a game that they are a lot more competitive in this year, I believe, and, you know, have a defense that's worth, you know, mentioning. But, uh, you know, I'll say that's a coin toss, but I probably err on the side of Skyline. And then against Windsor, you know, a little bit of the same thing, but uh, I am erring on the side of Windsor. So I think at worst, I think that they still win two games no matter what against Grand Junction and Skyline or and against Greeley Central no matter what. And then at best with wins against Palisade, Skyline, and maybe Windsor, they could maybe get up to that five win total. But I'm going to go ahead and say that this team goes three and seven this season with that window of wins at two to five here. This Wildcat team out of Greeley Central was in for their fair share of struggles and was porous on defense while not being able to stay on the field offensively. They won one big game against Palmer, but other than that was only competitive against Greeley West and Niwot. Both of those, they probably should have won with how many turnovers they forced, especially the Niwot game. But, uh, you know, they remain a program in flux with only one season left with their four-year starting quarterback here. So let's talk about some of the seniors that graduated. His offense was pretty young last season, trying to replace some really good 2022 talent you know, in Leon Ramirez, as well as, you know, Chino. But, you know, Lupe Guzman was a contributor who, you know, posted 14 catches for 178 yards and was more so impactful on the defense with 70 tackles and four pass breakups as well. This secondary in general or pass defense in general takes some big hits with the graduation of Fabian Hernandez and Roger Ordonez, who combined for 15 pass deflections and were 
responsible for two of the team's three total interceptions. Albie Fabella was fifth on the team in total tackles, but second in tackles for loss with seven and, you know, was a big member of the backfield disruption department. And then Eric Hernandez was probably the best lineman for Greeley Central on both sides of the ball, five tackles for loss and eight hurries, and then was a solid combination of size and strength on the offensive side. Now, for playmakers that are coming back, you know, Jaden and Zurez leads this defense that returns nine of the top 14 tacklers or, you know, anyone who had more than 20 tackles, I should say, and should form more cohesion as a unit. He himself had 95 total tackles and six tackles for loss, which was not even the best on the squad as sophomore Ernie Tenorio went crazy with eight tackles for loss out of his 77 total tackles. This is a great recipe for a rising junior season from Ernie Tenorio. And then once you account for Enzurez and Isaiah Asensio, who both collected six tackles in the backfield last season, that's a unit that returns a whopping 38 tackles for loss to next season, including Chris Rojas at six, as well as former sophomore Yateli Bucinera's five. So Lots of disruption in the backfield going on. What about the past game? Obviously, we talked about, you know, some interceptions and pass deflections walking across the stage. But don't worry, Dan Santalon will be returning after forcing two fumbles and having six pass breakups and was the only non-senior with an interception on a defense desperate for playmakers. It's important that Steely Dan here is going to be able to make plays in the pass game. Bucanero was also tied, Yatelli that is, for team lead and fumble recoveries, along with fellow sophomore Ernie Tenorio. And then talking about the offense, we're going to flip the script a little bit here. Sophomore tailback Carlos Cardoza earned the most carries on this unit last season and was able to show 342 yards from it and then leading in rushing touchdowns with four. Oddly enough, he was also their leading receiver with 434 yards and another four scores, proving to be a versatile athlete for the Wildcats here. You will have two rising seniors returning here in Alfredo Gonzalez, who got a solid amount of carries and found pay dirt three times, and then an additional time with the team's second best, 276 yards through the air. But who's delivering these footballs? Who's handing them off? That is none other than four-year starter Genoa Trujillo, who returns as the starter for the fourth season in a row with a team that hasn't had the most success building around him. And when playing behind, he tries to do too much. But I'd rather go down swinging if I am down big. We've seen him make some great passes. He knows how to go through reads. But, you know, if your receivers aren't creating a ton of, you know, distance between themselves and the defenders and makes every throw a really hard one, you're going to throw a ton of interceptions. But, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, he's going to have to, you know, probably be able to tuck and run a little bit more if he doesn't see any open guys and just know not to force anything. Because even if you're down by a lot, forcing something is not going to close that scoring gap if it is a turnover. So, you know, for Greeley Central here, like I said, this past year, almost beat Niwot. Oh, you know, beat up on Palmer pretty good. And then almost beat Greeley West. That is, you know, how that season went. And then looking ahead to this season, I think that that's kind of what we're looking at once again when looking at their schedule here. I think that Niwa at home, they should win this game. I'm just going to be straight up. They should, would, and could win this game. So I think that that's necessary. Cheyenne Mountain, 
That one's all the way down in Springs. I don't think that they win that one. Northridge. Northridge is a team that is graduating a lot of players. And, you know, from a dysfunction standpoint, I don't know if this is a game that Greeley Central will win. But, man, when you look at the returning playmakers, I really feel like they should. Northridge's graduating class is one of the most absurd graduating classes that I've covered while doing all of this study here. They were super senior heavy with guys that had been playing on their varsity since junior and sophomore year and probably even dating back to the COVID season freshman year. Now is their time to beat Northridge, if ever. So, you know, that's a maybe. I, It's hard for me to believe in it, though. So, Palmer... That is a game that they should definitely win. Loveland, no. Windsor, no. Greeley West, winnable game. Although I think that Greeley West is returning a lot more pieces in a lot more different areas. But they also don't really have a quarterback. Whereas I would say Greeley Central does. Grand Junction Central, I don't think that they win that. And I think that they go 0-2 against Silver Creek and Skyline. Talking about these Longmont games. So that is at bare minimum Really Central wins two games and then at maximum maybe wins four games. So window of wins of two to four, but I think that they I'll say that they go three and seven this year and we'll just kind of see what happens on the games that are a bit more on the close side, but uh, definitely should not fall short against Niwot this season, in my opinion. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Now on this episode, we are talking about the state runner-ups in 4A last season, you know, who started the season. That's the Loveland Red Wolves, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know. They started the season with a one-point loss to a very explosive, solid 5A playoff squad to start the season. That's Fossil Ridge. They were within one point. It came down to the wire. It came down to the last play of the game. And I don't think that you could ask for too much. But after that, they would not lose again during the regular season with notable beat downs over Pomona. They had a three touchdown win over Erie. They had a brutalizing shutouts of Skyline, Windsor, and Longmont to close the season before heading into the postseason. They had a bye and, you know, would then hold the Dakota Ridge offense to 21 points. They would outmuscle Montrose 20 to 15. And then they played on the road in Palmer Ridge and played incredibly clutch defense to beat the Bears by just three. And then all in all, it was a great season, spearheaded by an absurd defense that allowed under 10 points per contest over the season before they lost to Broomfield in the state championship on that trip to Mile High. So, like I said, defense allowing under 10 points per game over the course of this season. Absurd, undefeated at home. Great performances, you know, on their away schedule here. And just absolutely crazy defense headlined by a ton of class of 2023 guys. You know, in this graduated section is about to be really brutal here. I mean, this defense was, you know had 10 seniors that made up the top 12 tacklers for the Red Wolves, and they really were a pack of dogs, going for 561 tackles, 55 and a half tackles for loss, 17 sacks, and four interceptions being more than enough, even without non-senior contributors. These zany numbers are spearheaded by the likes of Cody Lease, who had three interceptions, 
Hudson Vogasers all-inclusive game of an interception, eight pass deflections, 84 tackles, and five and a half of those for loss. Ty Young's dominance with 102 tackles and 13 of those for loss. Dylan Lindgren's 87 and 10 and a half in the backfield. Jude Mayow's 10 tackles for loss. And so many other dogs in this pack that just suffocated offenses in the front seven and in the secondary. Looking at you, Lane Thomas, with an absurd 20-plus pass deflections and an interception in the state game. He was an incredibly gifted cornerback that just played very disciplined. And I mean, these are the names that you would hear over and over and over and over again, especially as I watched the Palmer Ridge game that was decided by a score of 10-7 to in Monument. This is a game where, you know, Palmer Ridge had been a squad that could move the ball a variety of ways with playmakers at wideout as well as a mobile quarterback and a very physical running back. And Loveland just said, nah, nah, not today. And, uh, you know, this was a instance where Pack of Wolves beat a few strong Bears here looking at that matchup. But their offense, you know, also had to do something for them to have made it to state. And, you know, I think that that was very obvious with Offensive Playmaker of the Year candidate Garrett Harstead, who graduates after a career where his frame with size and speed was enough to punish linebackers, including this last season where he ran for 1,832 yards and 24 scores while having, I think, one of his better passing seasons, throwing 10 touchdowns on 53% completion for 631 yards. But it was really this rushing attack that kept this, you know, team so balanced it was very complimentary with Garrett Harstead doing a lot of keepers and then you know lots of handoffs read options and stuff like that looking like a bit more simplistic version of a Chatfield team that Chatfield team that made state a few years ago you know not so much motion and stuff like that but you know definitely just a pound it down your throat kind of team that was very physical especially at the Wildcat quarterback slash quarterback position here and Joining them across the stage out of the backfield are another 29 scores with the likes of Drew Foley, who had 12 rushing touchdowns on 918 yards, Trent Stevenson, who had seven touchdowns, and Jude Mayow, who had four scores, all contributing to the lethal Loveland rushing attack. Like I said, just coming from a bunch of different directions, all these guys run a little bit differently. There's another guy who ran the ball very effectively as well, who will be returning. So I think that that is just insane. Lane Thomas was the team's leading receiver as well, the only one to eclipse triple digits, and you know accounted for about a third of Garrett Harstad's total passing yards. So basically, all the four leading rushers, five if you include Garrett himself, I suppose. Ten out of twelve defenders, and I mean just wolf. But why am I still giving them? my vote of approval in some of the games that I'm talking about for this coming season. Well, I think that that hugely falls on the shoulders of Trey Olson, who has the onus of experience with him after rushing for 556 yards and seven scores and is like the only dude to come back with substantial snaps on offense. And much can be said of the same for Caden Stansberry, who even in the sea of the class of 2023, contributors still stood out and stood tall with 85 tackles and a team high that's right you've heard about all the other tackle for losses that i've talked about in the senior section you know ranging from 13 to 10 to 10 and a half to 7 to what have you caden stansbury as a class of 2024 player led all of those dudes in tackles for loss with 18 
while also getting five sacks and a pick six to go with three forced fumbles and four fumble recoveries. He will be tasked with helping guide this heavily underexperienced defense, but holy cow, is that the kind of guy that you want coming back to, you know, ask that from or what? That is an incredible resume, insane stats, and just great execution from both of those guys. And Caden Stansberry, definitely, I think, a defensive playmaker of the year candidate heading into this season. Definitely a watch list guy as well. So let's look ahead at this schedule here. They do open up the season once again against Fossil Ridge at home. I do think that Fossil Ridge does take this one. They too are graduating a good number of players but they are bringing back uh, Colton Pollock who will provide some stability for this offense which is I think a little bit more impactful than Caden or Trey's impact for Loveland Mountain View they should definitely win this game Pomona mm, that will probably be a little bit closer but I'm still going to err on the side of Loveland here Thompson Valley I don't know if they win this game in the battle for Loveland. Thompson Valley, obviously, you know, Loveland is the more prestigious program in the past couple of years, but Thompson Valley is returning a lot of players here. So I would look out for an upset alert from Thompson Valley for the battle of the Valley here in Loveland in that game. Greeley Central, they should win. Erie, I don't think that they win that game. Grand Junction Central, that's at home. That's at home, which I think is a huge deal for Loveland here. So coin toss, but probably Loveland here. I think that Loveland probably beats Skyline. I think they still compete with Windsor. I'll call it a coin toss. And then they end the season with a non-league game, actually, against Longmont here. This is a winnable game for Longmont. But, you know, I don't think that this team goes 9-1 and one this season, obviously. I think that... They're more likely on the low end going to win, you know, obviously, like, I feel like they should win that Pomona game, Greeley Central game. I say that they probably still win four games here, but as far as teams that I don't see them beating, I don't see them beating Erie. I don't really see them beating Longmont, I don't think, and I don't think I see them beating Fossil Ridge. So, you know, that's about... We'll, we'll give them a window of wins of 5-7 to seven here. So I think at worst, they go 500. At best, they, you know, go 7-3 and three and still make the postseason here. I'd probably feel good saying that they go 7-3 and three like exactly this season and just finding out where those three losses come from uh, on the bit more specific side. For my last 4A squad here, so once again, you know, wrapping up this 4A segment and my 4A previews here, at least, you know, for this fall season. I got Loveland going 7-3 and three with a window of wins of 5-7. and seven. I got Greeley Central here going 3-7 and seven with a window of wins of 2-4. to four. I have a window of wins of 2-5 to five for Grand Junction Central, but I'm leaning on them going 3-7 and seven as well. And then Skyline, I got a window of wins of 3-5 and five and see them going probably 4 and six, maybe three and seven. So if I am done with 4A, that means that we are on to 3A here. And I think that this is going to be exciting to talk about. I think that there's, you know, a lot of good matchups and there's a lot of returners here for 3A. 3A feels a bit more open than it normally has been. And I think that that's going to start 
with this very next team that I'm going to talk about here. That is the Denver North Vikings here. You know, obviously, you know, a couple years ago playing in that Denver Prep League and, you know, now being in that 3A League 6, they get to see a handful of the same opponents, but then they play in one of the tougher leagues in 3A. So, you know, their season last year went almost exactly, as I said, with the sole surprise being the Northfield demolition of the Vikings. And, you know, then their struggles in a stacked league kept them out of the postseason, even with a 5-5 five and five record. So, you know, I look at it. Obviously, I was at that Northfield game. Not a good game to watch. But, uh, you know, outside of that, they fared pretty well in league. They or non-league. They won all of their other non-league games, which I think was important. But then once it came to league, the only team that they were able to beat was Niwot, which they only beat by a score. So a little tough there. But some of the seniors who graduated were Vincent Colbert, who is the top senior tackler, and also ended up collecting seven in the backfield, which is second best amongst seniors not named Elliot Reyes, who had nine himself, Reyes. Fernando Ione was responsible in four tackles for loss in just three games played last season. And then Tane Norris was the interceptions leader with three interceptions his senior year. But the returning playmakers is where you should get excited for this team. And I think that the big one here is that their offense will be back in full strength from last season, headlined by quarterback Frankie Dardano, who threw for 2,000 yards and 13 touchdowns to five receivers who all notched triple-digit receiving yards and were all in the class of 24. That group is headlined by Lorenzo Guerra and Gabe K. McInnes, who both had over 500 yards and a touchdown apiece. Guerra led the squad in TDs with six, while Gordon and Espinosa both had over 200 yards and two touchdowns. Dardano ran for another seven touchdowns and another 450 yards and was a reliably speedy dual threat here on the 3A level. Eli Espinosa ran for 721 yards and five touchdowns, proving to be reliable both through the run and the pass on the defensive side of the football with 61 tackles and a team second best 11 tackles for loss. I think something to note before I start talking about a lot of the defensive guys is that there will be a new offensive coordinator in tow at Denver North, and this is the one from Kennedy last season who was able to really maximize the likes of Ron Gallegos Jr., as well as, you know, Isaac Cisneros over the course of four years. So an offseason here with Frankie Dardano and this offense that is returning a lot of players. This could be a very explosive offense. This is going to be one of the more, I'd say, complex or at least, you know, trusting offenses in football here. And, uh, you know, I'm very excited for this offense for that reason. And it's not like this offense was necessarily bad last season i just want to put that out there they were a unit that did average about 20 points per game but i think that this is a unit that could get a whole touchdown more of averages if i'm being completely honest with all the returners as well as the scheme that you know i have been able to witness a few times over the years and then on the defensive side of the ball like i said eli espinoza was very solid he had a team second best 11 tackles for loss and then, you know, Scotty Droulard is another junior of seven returners who had a nice 54 tackle, nine for loss posting this past season. Elijah Berg led the team overall in tackles for loss with 14 on a unit that returns a decent chunk 
of TFLs and tackles in general. Aquiles Escamilla was tied for the team lead and sacked with two. And then freshman year, Jeremiah Fitz wasn't in the rotation a ton, but still notched a whopping four tackles for loss, just like sophomore stud Josiah Zubia. So they're going to have two underclassmen here from, or two underclassmen from last year that I think are going to be impactful up front. And then all in all, this defense returns 12 of the top 15 tacklers with the majority of them heading into their senior year trying to do something special. So looking ahead at this Denver North schedule, previewing this season exactly, they start off against Pueblo Centennial at home. Definitely should be a win. Denver West, definitely should be a win. Northfield, that game is going to be more competitive than last year. They are returning a ton of talent over at Northfield, but they also lost one of the more physical players on the defense. So hopefully it's not a 60... If... Denver North is legit. They fare way better against Northfield in this go-around. That's all I'm going to say about that. And then it looks like there's a little bit of a jumble here on this schedule, but I'm assuming that their other non-league games are going to be Wheat Ridge and Skyview. Skyview, they will be pushed a little bit more this season, but I definitely think that with the experience that they have, they should win. And then Wheat Ridge, they should definitely win that game. Honestly, I think at worst, you go 4-1 and one in non-league games again. At best, you go 5-0 and and head into league with some confidence here because looking at, you know, Riverdale Ridge and, you know, looking at the playmakers that they're going to be returning, it just doesn't seem like a lot as they had some very solid guys graduate here at all skill positions. So I think that that's something that Denver North has an advantage of. And unless it comes down to a talent pool thing, I think that Denver North should honestly win this game against Riverdale Ridge. Now, against Meade last year, they did not fare so well. Meade is one of those tricky teams that is graduating, you know, a handful of talent, but they're also returning a solid amount of talent, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Denver North is going to have to play a clean game and limit the turnovers, which is something that Meade specializes in doing. And maybe I'll get to see two of my former classmates go against each other in this uh, coaching matchup. Shout out uh, Victor and shout out Scott as well. Scott, who I coached with up at Greeley West at one point. So if they're both at, uh, you know, Denver North and Meade, uh, you know, that maybe that's a game that I go check out on the 12th of October, just a week after my birthday. But, you know, moving on, I digress. They probably lose that game to Meade if I, you know, had to guess. But, you know, I'm always down to be proven wrong. And then Frederick here, they graduated a lot of total scrimmage yards here, but they do have their quarterback coming back and they do have some studs on defense. Honestly, they play that really wacky wing T or whatever, but this is a winnable football game. It really honest to goodness is a winnable football game for Denver North. I might be a little bit high on them, but man, I, I just think that the talents here, I think that other teams are graduating a ton of talent. That includes the likes of George Washington that, graduated some of the best 3A players, period. You know, they had a lot of guys on our all 3A team from Playmakers Corner. So, you know, I think that that, is, that bodes well for Denver North, and I think that they should definitely beat Niwa. I think that this team just needs to believe in themselves and be confident because I think on the even on the low end, this team should win no less than six games. Nah, I'll say no less than five. No less than five games. So I'm going to put them at a window of wins of five on the low end. And, you know, on the high end, I think that there's, 
you know, two or three more winnable games here. So I'll say seven. I'll say that there's a window of wins of five and seven. And I hope that this team goes seven and three, but would be disappointed with anything other than six and four. They better be competitive in the games against other playoff teams, and they will have a chance to sneak into the postseason, but they cannot be dropping, you know, silly games here and there. They can't be making very stupid turnovers or anything like that. Not saying that they were a whole bunch last year, but they just really got to get their act together to, I think, make a respectable push for the postseason, especially in this league. In this league, if you could go three and two in this league, that's I think that that bodes very, very well. And I think that they could even go four and one in league if I'm being completely honest. So that's where I'm at. I think the biggest obstacles here are Mead, Frederick, and G-Dub. But, you know, I think that if you steal one of those games, you leave with a winning record and maybe even punch a ticket to the postseason for this Viking squad. As stated previously, George Washington here is graduating a lot of talent. And I mean a lot of, like, historical 2G dub talent, I feel like. You know, I think that it's headlined very obviously by... Celis Honeycutt, who graduates after a senior season that saw him average 14.2 yards per carry and helped this team go 9-1. and one. They had multiple award nominees for Defensive Playmaker of the Year, Most Valuable Playmaker, Offensive Playmaker of the Year, and they, like I said, had a ton of all-playmaker team guys to win this league title and then win a game in the postseason before their season ended. So, you know, finishing with 10-2, and two, Double-digit wins is always a huge deal. They beat a, you know, I'd say perennial playoff team in Holy Family in the postseason. And then, you know, still scored 28 points against Durango on the road, which I think is respectable, obviously. So I think that there is a lot to be happy about. Celis Honeycutt, like I said, scored 17 touchdowns and was snow-capped by a dominant performance and takeover kind of game to defeat Frederick for the league title. I always recommend that you go find that episode because it is probably the best game that I have seen to this point in my coverage of Colorado football. Combine this with Honeycutt's ability to go out wide and catch for an additional 529 yards and seven scores and return multiple kicks for touchdowns and post 87 tackles with an interception and have a fumble recovery and four pass deflections and this was one if, if not the best player in 3A last season. Combine that with Damari Washington, who is another two-way force, leading the team with three interceptions and notching two scores on 11 catches through offense. Not to be outdone by the biggest receiving threat on this team, who is Silas Evans, who on just 35 receptions reached 692 yards and eight touchdowns for his senior season. Gabe Smith was the guy delivering these dots across these three receivers and more, throwing for 19 total touchdowns and being able to run a bit of an RPO scheme that definitely played to the strengths of getting the ball quickly into the hands of their playmakers and winning football games that way. Defensive Playmaker of the Year candidate Jirai Vaughn was an absolute monster, rotating between guard, interior defensive lineman, defensive end, and linebacker, for a team-high 132 tackles and an absurd 103 solo tackles. He was also far and away the biggest impact in the backfield, having more tackles for loss than the rest of the team combined at 15, 
and the same dominance was displayed during pass rushing as he terrorized quarterbacks to the tune of 10 sacks and 9 hurries this season. Dry was amongst the best for a reason and will be sorely missed by this Pats defense next season. But on top of Vaughn's graduation, 50% of total sacks will graduate with Jude Marino and Zephion Johnson, combining for 13 just amongst the two of them. Jimmy Biggs was a big body in the middle who also collected a pair of tackles for loss up front and, you know, was top 10, you know, in this team's tackles and was also a part of a top 10 unit in 3A for this defensive front. Samaj Jimerson Browns was a large presence on both sides of the ball, eating up running lanes and getting a push to open up opportunities for Vaughn and others to collect the numbers. And I believe that he is going on to play college ball as well. I think for CSU Pueblo, I might be mistaken, but just another big body doing his job for the Pats. And then the beast of Silas Evans was also, you know, impactful on the defensive side of the ball. Two picks, two fumble recoveries, two forced fumbles, and a 105 tackle performance this past season, taking good angles to clean up some serious messes. But all in all, this Pats team loses nine of their top 12 tacklers, 79% of their tackles for loss, 86% of their sacks, and all but two interceptions combined with over 4,000 yards of total offense and 38 touchdowns. That, oh my gosh, saying this out, typing this was one thing. It was brutal to type this out, but it is horrifying to say out loud. But it's not all bad. <sighs> it's not all bad for George Washington because Markevious Lee showed great promise and dominance in his sophomore season, going for a team's second best 12 total touchdowns and actually led this team in carries and yards, posting 1,280 yards on 175 carries and being very patient for this line to open up holes. He was also fourth on the team in tackles with 84 and will be ready for an even bigger workload next season. Fred Scott was in the backfield with three tackles for loss and also ended up in the quarterback's grill with three sacks and a couple of hurries to go with his 61 tackles. Caden Reed is probably the other name to consider here heading into his junior year after having met ball carriers 55 times and twice in the backfield. David Yahi quietly put together an efficient season of 418 yards on 45 carries and should be one half of a devious one-two punch with Markevious Lee. Not to be the bearer of bad news for this Patriots team, but also to do that, they graduate maybe the most talented player in school history, combined with many other college-level football guys, and then a ton of their staff has also moved on to different places such as Littleton High School. This is as clean of a slate as you can get, but unfortunately that happens in one of the toughest leagues in 3A, which could spell trouble for the Pats here. Luckily, they open up their season against Hinkley. Even with two arms tied behind their back, they should probably win that game. Then they got a 4A squad in Falcon at home, I don't know if they win this game. I genuinely don't know if they win this game. I know Falcon is returning a handful of talent. So, you know, I'll say coin toss for that one. Aurora Central, they should be able to beat. I don't know if they beat Far Northeast this season. I don't think that they beat Meade. They should still probably beat Niwot. I don't think that they beat Denver North. Maybe they can beat Riverdale. A little bit of a toss up there. And then they also have... Frederick. So on the low end, I think they definitely win three games this season. 
I think that that's fair that they should win three games unless their coaching staff betrays me here. But with the talent that they have, three games should be manageable. And I'll say on the high end with everything going right, they go 500 and miss out on the postseason. And on to the Mavericks from Mead. You know, obviously two years ago, they narrowly lost in-state to Fort Morgan. So that was a bit tough, but, you know, that was a very storied team, but also a very heavy senior class that year. So this year there were definitely some growing pains, I would say, you know, because they started off the year with a narrow one-point win over Windsor, which was very promising. But then this Lutheran game got moved around and ended up being played on Labor Day uh, after the crazy lightning storms that took over Colorado that prior weekend. So they lose that by 12 points and then just proceed to drop a few games in a row here against Severance, Durango, Green Mountain, George Washington. Very tough schedule. They bounce back with two big wins over Denver North and Niwot before losing to Frederick by one point, effectively ending their season and having them miss the playoffs. But, you know, while they were, you know, returning some first-year guys, there were still seniors that really played well or seniors that had experience prior. I think of Sean Medlock, who had over a 1,000 yards from offense, rushing and catching in 11 touchdowns, rushing the ball effectively and also doing his thing with a team-high 38 receptions and finding Paydirt more effectively that way. Danny Brewington was more than serviceable this season, rushing for 545 yards and then a team-high nine touchdowns and being a nice complimentary back to Sean. Solomon Johnson was the only other receiver with over 20 receptions as he cruised to 220 yards and a pair of scores and was also second on the team in pass deflections with five and came down with an interception. Talon Alder Adler was the guy this season. I think that he performed all right at quarterback. You know, he had 15 total touchdowns through the air and ground, but was definitely not the ground threat from under center that uh, Gavin Gerritsen was. You also on the defensive side of the ball had Ethan Williams and Christian Ayers, who were both 50-plus tackle seniors, with Williams eventually leading this team in tackles for loss with eight, while also being the two best pass rushers, leaving behind 10.5 sacks and out of the 17 total from this team. Ethan also had two blocked field goals last season, which it's crazy for somebody to have one, much less two. Jake Marcus was tied for the team lead with two interceptions, while adding another three pass deflections. Kenneth Vary was second on the team with tackles for loss at four while being another 50-plus tackle kind of dude. And then eight of the top 13 tacklers all graduated this past spring, so lots of losses on the defensive side of the ball. But some of the guys that are coming back are the likes of Cole Michalis, or Michalis, who ran for 403 yards on only 86 carries and scored about three times, four times. Ty Olsen was the only non-senior to catch touchdowns and recorded three of them as a junior. Kellen Teku was the leading tackler on this team with 60 tackles and was also an absolute headache to try and get passes passed with his team-high seven pass deflections and continues the tradition of a Teku making plays on the gridiron and will probably be asked to play both ways next season with the other departing talent. Edward Stevenson was the only non-senior with 50-plus tackles at 52, only other non-senior, I should say, at 52 tackles and two for losses junior year. Rising junior Bryson Melikar was third on the team with sacks and there's plenty of room for impact with the other two guys who graduated for him to you know close that gap and become the leading pass rusher on this maverick team and then cody mcdonald 
notched two interceptions, and a fumble recovery in his junior season last fall. So a handful of juniors on the defensive side of the ball making plays, and then some guys on offense. But either way, you're going to get a new first-year starter at quarterback, and you're going to have to ask for other contributions from other spots. So they open up their season again against Windsor. I don't think that they win this one on the road to start. And then they have Lutheran. That's another game I don't think that they win. Severance is returning most of their important players from last year. I don't think that they win that. Durango, this game, should be a bit more competitive. They do get Durango at home. They did have a handful of guys who, you know, they're bringing back a quarterback who's starting for his third season. So this one, I probably give the edge to Durango. Green Mountain, this was a very senior-heavy team. This is a very, I think, winnable game this year compared to last year. G-Dub, I think that, you know, Mead has a strong chance of winning this game. Denver North, I think that, you know, like I said, I'm going to probably favor Denver North in this one. And then Niwot, they should definitely beat Niwot. I want to say that they beat Frederick. I want to say that they beat Frederick. And then Riverdale Ridge, I do think that they will beat Riverdale Ridge. So, you know, we'll say on the low end of things that, you know, the games that I don't think that they drop are like three of them. And then at most, they probably win six games with their wins that I just don't see happening being Lutheran, Severance, and then probably Durango. I, I think that they probably go 0-3 down that stretch and then maybe lose one, one more. So like I said, I think that there's four, three or uh, actually I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say a window of wins of three and five. And, you know, obviously going six and four would be huge, but this is a difficult schedule. But, uh, you know, I think that they'll be closer to the five and five side of things, improving from last season, but still just not quite having that very complete and rounded out class that they had just a couple years ago when they did make it to state with multiple multi-year starters and contributors, as well as just big playmakers at every single position. I just don't think that they've been able to show that quite yet. Now, let's go ahead and talk about this next squad here, Riverdale Ridge. You know, honestly, I think that they had a fairly respectable fifth season here. They end up going, you know, four and six. They're growing as a school, and, you know, they tested themselves against some 4A teams. You know, they get a win over Mountain View by one point to start their year before beating up on Adams City 34-0. And then, you know, they even play an out-of-state team in Windermere Prep, you know, from Florida. So, you know, they are testing themselves, but just didn't quite have the talent to keep up with some of the other squads, especially once they got into league. Now, graduating here, they do graduate their leading receiver, Elijah Lofton, 49 receptions, 561 yards, and eight touchdowns. Their do-it-all tailback, Caden Harding, who had 1,000 scrimmage yards and eight rushing touchdowns with one receiving. And QB1, Aiden Burns, who threw for 1,438 yards and 12 scores. So like I said when talking about other teams, they just graduate their you know leading guy at all of the major skill positions on the offensive side of the ball, which is a ton of yards. It is a lot of scoring, and it's just a lot of experience and seeing that you know they're going to be losing. And this was you know an offense that when they were dialed in, they could score a decent amount of points. So they're losing all that versus if they were all juniors and they were all coming back, this is a team that I think easily could go 5-5, five and five, if not better, with multiple years of experience. Lofton here, 
was also pacing all defenders in interceptions with three over the 10 games. And I will say that the defensive stats aren't, aren't completely updated, but Nate Bishop was on pace to lead the team in total tackles, and Isaac Bonner was not that far behind. Both of those guys were seniors. Now, for returning playmakers, Rocker Rocco Bonallo was on pace to lead the team in tackles for loss with four in just four recorded games. Levi Jane was another junior who was up in the top five in tackles. And then you also had All-State Honorable Mention Isaiah Bustamante, who will return as the kicker slash punter. But that is not really a winning formula by any means, I would say. And, you know, I think that there is, I'd say, reasonable cause for concern on this team here. You know, like I said, they do have the benefit of maybe having an easier schedule here. But, uh, you know, I think that even a team like Mountain View that they were able to beat by one point last year, they are returning a ton of pieces on both sides of the ball. So that is, you know, I don't think a game that Riverdale maybe walks away with a win here. You know, I think that that one point gap has been closed by Mountain View. I think that Adam City is still terrible. So, you know, I think even with all the moving pieces at Riverdale Ridge, this is still a winnable game. I don't think that they beat Northfield, Thompson Valley, Denver North. I don't think that they beat Frederick. Even George Washington, I don't think that they beat them. Niwa is probably their most winnable game on this schedule, but even then, Niwa is returning a decent amount of guys, and uh, Meade, I don't think they win. So, you know, a little bit harsh here maybe for Riverdale Ridge, but I'd say at best, at best, they win three games, and I'm going to give them a window of wins actually of 0-3 to three here, and assume that they go one and nine is going to be my overall prediction here for Riverdale season. Sorry, I just don't see enough contributors coming back on either side of the ball. It'd be maybe a little bit easier to assess if full stats were input. So, you know, you could take that as shade if you want, but it's really not that hard. Most teams do it very accurately, I, I would even say. So Riverdale Ridge, A, Seniors at very important spots, I think, is the big one here. And B, no one to really fill the shoes of those seniors that, you know, did have those opportunities. So that's kind of where I'm at with those birds. Now, for a team that was a playoff team last year, you know, and only lost to other playoff teams, I'm going to be talking about the Frederick Warriors here. They lose to Holy Family by one point to start the season. They lose to Scott's Bluff in Nebraska. That was a very solid team over there. And, you know, eventually lose by five to G-Dub for the league title. They do still win a playoff game before losing to Lutheran for their season to end. But I think that, you know, they pulled off by seeding what was technically an upset over Summit. So I think that there's a lot of things to be happy about from this 2022 season. And what I think was Matt Floyd's first season in the headset for Frederick here. But... You know, let's talk about some graduated seniors last year. As projected last season, Cruz Zamudio and River Lakey dominated out of the backfield, combining for almost 2,000 yards and 20 touchdowns, and Cruz being a big play threat, leading the team with 18 receptions, 356 yards, and four scores. Cooper Anderson, Tegan Bone Jace Horner, and Jordan Fahey, or Fay, all caught touchdowns last season in this play-action-heavy offense, and with that, all touchdowns that caught the football will not be returning. 
Flip that to the defensive side of the ball, and Cooper was the leading tackler with 59 and four tackles for loss, and Tegan was second on the team with five tackles for loss. Joseph Vellani was third on the team with 39 tackles, but recorded two interceptions while forcing and recovering a fumble. LaFay Purcell had a pick, but even more crazy, recovered three fumbles and found ball carriers behind the line of scrimmage a couple times. And Will Triplett has sets of three in the sacks and tackles for loss department. Very appropriate considering his last name is Triplett, notching three in those categories. And even though it appears that he only played half the season, that means that he was very, very effective when he was in the lineup. And that kind of high impact, high motor guy is going to be very hard to replace on this squad, much like most of these people. But, you know, luckily returning for them is going to be leading tackle for loss specialist Kamarly Davey, who comes back to the defense and was second on the squad, also in solo tackles. You also get Taven Haggery, who is impressive as a sophomore, four tackles for loss out of his 29 total tackles, all listed as solo tackles, mind you while recovering two fumbles, which was second best on the squad. So somebody who can do it by themselves and get it done in the backfield. And then on offense, it's very interesting because this is a team that typically runs the wing tee. Obviously, you can see kind of that production reflected in Cruz Zamudio and River Lakey combining for almost 2,000 yards. They had other guys who were running the football, but this quarterback was third on the team in total touchdowns. Finding the end zone five times running the football, and then another 13 times through the air and was efficient in his limited role, but also at times took snaps out of shotgun and could maybe push this staff a little bit closer to the modern game. He was able to stretch the field with some deep balls when I was able to watch him. And, you know, out of all the positions to be returning, it's always very nice to have a quarterback that is returning to the fold. They did graduate some offensive linemen, obviously, so that's going to be kind of tough, but all in all should be in for an interesting season. They do start the season on the road against Holy Family this fall. I think they don't win that game again. And then a very tough slew of games to start their non-league play against Monarch, Scotts Bluff, and Silver Creek. And, you know, with all the players returning to those squads, I unfortunately think that they do start off 0-4 to start their season. Moving forward, they do have Fort Morgan and Niwot on the road, as well as Riverdale Ridge. I think that they could very easily go 2-1 and one and or 3-0 and oh down this stretch before facing the likes of Denver North, Meade, and George Washington. G-Dub is a winnable game. I think that they maybe get some revenge last year, but I don't know if they're contending for a league title against Denver North. But, you know, they did put it to them uh, last year and came away with a win. And then Meade is another team that's just graduating a lot of guys as well. So I think that... You know, unfortunately, I think that they, no matter what, lose four games this season. I think that that is inevitable no matter how you dice it up. And, you know, that means that they still could win six on the high end of things, which is good. But then I do think that there's another two games that are losable here. So I'm going to say the window of wins for Frederick is four and six, and I'm going to project them to be five and five and maybe, maybe sneak into the postseason, depending on how competitive they are against the 4A opponents, especially on this schedule. If they can win one of those games, they're probably almost a lock for the postseason. But 
everyone in their league. Their league looks a lot different than it did last year, and I think that they are really challenging themselves with these non-league teams that really did win a very solid amount of games last season. So, you know, I think that that's just going to be interesting to kind of monitor and keep an eye on and see what their offense looks like after graduating a couple of running backs that were very high-impact players last season. And that brings me to the very last team on this episode, the Niwot Cougars here, who, you know, had a tough season last year. I'm not going to mince it, but they were in some close contests in their non-league schedule, but they were also cannon fodder in some ways. So, you know, they get a close win over Greeley Central, barely lose to Thornton by five points. They beat Skyview by nine, and, you know, they were able to really put it to Battle Mountain as well. So those are wins to obviously be happy about. But, you know, it's the, they were just like a doormats for everyone else. So as far as graduated seniors, it seems that most of the stats really weren't recorded, but it appears that the majority of the contributors for this squad were sophomores or juniors. So through a mixed bag of recorded stats, it appears that this defense was led by a combination of Nicholas Kempt, who at the time had 47 tackles and five for loss, Sophomore Hayden Shaw, 29 tackles and one for loss. Garrett Eaker, five tackles per game and four tackles for loss. Gavin Barrage, 4.2 tackles per game and four tackles for loss with an interception and two forced fumbles. Hayden Shaw also led this team in carries and eclipsed the 100-yard mark in a game multiple times this past fall and was a force of stability. Chad Wolf was the quarterback for this team in seven games, throwing three scores and over a half of K yards, but... And, uh, you know, was leading the team in touchdowns with six total. Jesus Rosas ran for three scores and over 300 yards in six games recorded. And then the major, the major guys who got receptions come back with three juniors of Sergio Pimentel, Paris Lee, and Mats Lehan returning to the fold, as well as sophomore touchdown receiver Weston Domich. So they are returning a lot, but I feel like this team is still very young and they just didn't really show me a whole lot last year. You know, I think that their game against Greeley Central is going to be another close one, but I do want to give the edge to Greeley Central, but it's a winnable game for sure. Skyview, I don't think that they win that game this year. I mean, both these teams are returning a lot of important people, so I think that that is good to note, but Skyview showed me a little bit more down the stretch. Eagle Valley, I think that that is probably a winnable game. Battle Mountain doesn't have a varsity team this year, so I'm not really sure what to make of that game before they end up facing Thompson Valley, Frederick, G-Dub, Meade, Riverdale, and Denver North. I don't really see them winning a game in league unless it's against Riverdale Ridge. Maybe, maybe George Washington. But, you know, I give this, I give this team a window of wins of... Two, at the bare minimum, I think that they win two games, kind of no matter how you chop it up, and maybe a high end of four. But I'm leaning towards a two and eight season for the Niwot Cougars heading into this year. I just, I understand that they're returning a ton of pieces here, which is exciting. But against good teams, they just did not show great signs of life. And they just so happen to face a lot of very good teams this season. Um, you know, actually, I'll even say five wins. They could have five wins. And I think that I should put a little bit more respect on their name and say that they end with a three and seven season to at least match last year and not take a step back. But that'll do it for episode 275, another batch of season previews. 
Just as a recap, I have reviewed Skyline, Grand Junction Central, Greeley Central, Loveland, Denver North, George Washington, Meade, Riverdale, Frederick, and Niwot on this episode. And I will be turning my attention to an all 3A episode coming out this Friday. So stay excited for more 3A content. And then I will be working my way 3A, 2A, 1A next week to wrap up all of my previews before you get blessed with Gideon's previews as well as Coach V's while I am out of town. So thank you so much for listening to all the season previews that we've had so far. If you haven't, be sure to double back and listen to them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. They're also posted to YouTube. So go ahead and check us out there. Subscribe or follow and turn on notifications for all of those instances so you get notified when new episodes come out. Or be sure to pay attention to us on social media, whether that's on TikTok where we are posting short clips of our season previews and try and give overarching synopses for these teams. Or be sure to you know follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, where we post when new episodes are coming out. And, you know, make fun little graphics. Go ahead and comment your thoughts on all those and give us some interaction on whether you think we are right on the money, whether we're underestimating or overestimating any squads. We're interested in seeing what you, the people on the ground, have to think and if you know something that maybe we don't. But, you know, we put a lot of research and time into this, so we do appreciate all the listens and all the support. So please feel free to like, share, and comment, interact with all of those posts. And I have been your host for this episode, Cody Stoffer, and peace.